Hi, and welcome back to the Voice First Roundtable, episode 12 for May 2018. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for the Voice First Roundtable, as well as our sponsor for This Week in Voice, is Voice XP, the St. Louis, Missouri-based Alexa skill developer and Google Home Action developer, the voice developer that can help you or your organization navigate through the tricky waters of voice technology. I've talked about Bob Stolzberg, Mark Tucker, Bonnie Snyder, their whole crew over and over again on Voice First FM many times. If you're listening to this show and you want to reach out, you want to have a conversation with a very skilled developer that has developed Alexa skills and voice experiences for some of the biggest brands in the world, I encourage you to go to www.voicexp.com. We'll link to it in the show notes as well. Give Bob Stolzberg a ring. Give any of their crew a ring. You'll be glad that you did. We are very pleased today to have Scott Rose, Senior Vice President of Pindrop, on the show. Scott, say hello. Hi, everyone. Bradley, thanks for, thanks for having me here. Scott, thank you for taking the time to join us. I find Pindrop fascinating. Please take a moment and explain to us, coming in cold, we landed here from Mars, don't know anything about voice, and especially don't have any clue what Pindrop does. Tell us what everything about what y'all do. It's super unique. Sure thing. So Pindrop is a software company that's basically building authentication and fraud protection services uh, that primarily uh, detect and analyze a voice, uh, as well as uh, all incoming uh, conversations over phone channels, uh, as well as voice assistance. So if you're speaking over a phone into a contact center or soon using devices such as Alexa, uh, we can authenticate uh, those conversations passively and in real time and also identify if those conversations um, are fraudulent ones um, and be able to process, indicate information on that so that customers can make informed decisions uh, on those interactions. We kind of need something like that, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you see um, people think that, hey, the, the phone is dead and everyone's basically doing all of their activity online. But first and foremost, people still use, uh, obviously, their phones to do uh, a massive amount of not just conversation, but also to uh, ask for and request for services. I mean, that's, that's still a huge uh, part of today's activity. And contact centers, call centers have to very quickly assess that they're interacting with genuine customers, not treat them as criminals and be able to uh, allow them into their services. But at the same time, very creative uh, fraudulent activities continues to still happen over those channels. But now that's just the tip of the iceberg because if you see where uh, voice is going um, with the explosion of voice assistants uh, and home voice devices such as Alexa and Google Home, uh, Cortana and others, uh, the usage of voice to not just drive casual conversation and do casual queries, but to also drive commerce, what we call the conversational economy, uh, will be exponentially increasing. So to be able to use those devices in a secure manner, to be able to authenticate and identify who you are, and to be able to allow not just casual queries and interactions, but to allow seamless commerce to happen over those devices, that's really the name of the game today. Voice impersonators have been with us for a long time. There's people who have made careers out of that for, I guess, ever since radio. 
you know, ever since um, recorded audio, you know, phonographs, um, whatever, uh, voice impersonators have been among us. And I want you to just talk for a minute. Um, you, you can share with us a little bit about how Pindrop got started. Uh, and maybe that's going to be part of the same story that talks about a little bit of the science behind it. You've got all this IP. You know, I don't want you to delve into any trade secrets or anything, but is it possible to tell um, if somebody sounds like me, they intonate like me, um, they phrase things like me, does Pintrop's technology allow the determination to happen of which one of these voices, if any of them at all, are actually me? Uh, share with us a little bit about the underlying IP behind what you're doing. Sure thing. So, yeah, first off to the first part of your question, Pindrop got started um, by basically realizing that there was a need uh, to identify fraudulent uh, interactions into the contact center. What, what Pindrop saw very early on is before people were even trying to masquerade as somebody else, they were just simply trying to uh, social engineer or recon uh, into the contact center. And through certain examples, such as uh, having noises in the background, like a baby crying, uh, to set that contact center agent uh, in sort of a defensive mode uh, so that they were giving up information uh, for the account that that fraudster was trying to access. Uh, sometimes they would use very high pressure tactics, um, even starting to get agitated and yelling at the agent and forcing that agent uh, to be responsive to the person who's calling in because customer service is obviously uh, one of their uh, uh, top of mind uh, mandates. So these fraudsters knew these techniques and were able to sort of creatively and psychologically get these agents to open up. So we, we basically got our start by analyzing those phone calls and being able to uh, create prints uh, of those calls. So as those calls continue to come in, we could analyze in real time uh, against those prints that we've created and, and in almost a real time manner, be able to score those calls and indicate to that contact center that, yeah, we think that this is um, a potential fraudster uh, based on information um, that we're analyzing and comparing uh, against to, uh, to, to previous activities. So that's really where the, the company got its start. And then it expanded its IP um, by adding um, voice biometrics and analyzing the actual voice itself. And once it did that, it was able to take basically the printing that we did on not just the the, the background information coming in over the call, but the voice itself and being able to determine that this is uh, an actual potential fraudster um, or at the same time, we're able to create prints that genuinely authenticate um, that that voice uh, is the actual person speaking. And that's really sort of the secret sauce behind the technology that, that Pindrop is building. And to be very clear, we're not talking about recorded audio here. We're talking about uh, uh, analyzed audio and analyzed voice uh, in, in real time uh, through a, a deep neural network. So this isn't off of like pre-prepared text phrases like my voice is my password. This is analyzing the voice at the speed of that conversation and assessing whether it is a fraudulent one um, or is a genuine one and being able to uh, fire up uh, data that again allows the, uh, the call or that conversation uh, to be appropriately processed. Now, fast forward to today, where the technology is really uh, becoming quite impressive, where there's actual products out there that have been deliberately developed 
uh, to, to create synthetic voices. And of course, this was not done nefariously. Uh, this was done in order for uh, you know, new capabilities, new use cases in certain markets, such as in the entertainment sector, Adobe created a product called Voco, and that was used to basically accelerate and reduce the cost of post-production so that rather than calling actors and actresses back in to do a couple um, seconds or a couple minutes of, of, of additional scenes, they were able to take the audio from those actors that, was, that had already been produced and use it to create brand new scenes and brand new dialogue that those actors and actresses had not even said before. So obviously this was, you know, uh, this is hugely important in the entertainment industry uh, because they can, they can reduce that, that post-production time and costs. But now you can start to see that technology um, could be used potentially for, for nefarious reasons. So it's not just um, analyzing whether a voice is generically fraudulent, but now analyzing whether somebody uh, who sounds just like that person, as you may have heard them either on TV or on YouTube or somewhere else online, is it that person actually speaking or is it a synthetic voice uh, that might be used just for comedic purposes or uh, might be used for much more nefarious purposes? You know, something just um, as creating fake news or even to use that voice uh, to cause uh, other events to happen from it. So that's that's really the situation we find ourselves uh, in today. Uh, and again, you know, Pindrop's technology was, was built uh, to, to deal with these situations and now with the advent of uh, voice assistance and the ability to create synthesized voice, the need for this technology becomes even that more important. This is kind of wild. <laughs> and I found this wild ever since, you know, we got into Voice First, you know, Voice First FM created the network, um, began hosting the Alexa conference uh, and got into voice. The technology is moving so rapidly. Amazon's really at the front of it. Of course, Google has caught up with them. Uh, and we'll talk about all that in, in just a bit, um, some of the more recent developments. But you've got these juggernauts really blazing a trail. And there's all these questions that are being raised. And it's great that companies like Pindrop are sort of coming along behind in Amazon and saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, we need to be thinking about more than just whatever the newest features are. We need to be thinking about how to protect personal privacy, you know, integrity of uh, people's identity and stuff like that. Um, I think that's phenomenal. I want to go back a step and just make sure I understand. So the technology uh, that you, that Pindrop has sort of takes a voice in real time and it assesses it using your underlying IP and it provides some sort of probabilistic scoring to it along some sort of spectrum that says, you know, once you drop below, below a certain threshold, the probability is pretty high that this is a fake. Yeah, that's a good, it's a, I think it's a really good um, description. You know, essentially, you know, we're analyzing a number of different uh, uh, incoming uh, bits of information to create that score. And we can do this either as a composite action, what we call a multi-factor based uh, method, or we can do this off of, say, uh, a single dimension or a single factor uh, a path. But essentially think about if you're, if you're calling into a contact center, you know, several things have happened. You, you've dialed uh, your phone. Um, you might interact with what's called an IVR, uh, intelligent voice response system. Um, you might stay in that voice response system. You may never even speak um, or you might get transferred to an agent. Either uh, you want to go to an agent or based on your responses, you're, you're sent to an agent. So through that whole process, 
There's the dialing on your keypad, on your phone. Um, there's your device itself and the carrier that that, that phone is, is, is signaling in through and then down into that contact center. There's the audio on the phone. And when we say audio, we're not even meaning just the voice. We're even meaning like the silence and the, the characteristics, um, the acoustics on that audio channel. We're essentially analyzing in real time um, and we're extracting what we call features off of that information and taking those features, um, analyzing, processing, um, and creating um, a score based on the comparisons of that information um, back to these prints that I, that I described before. And it's that constant comparison, that constant analysis, um, as we're either just um, uh, feeding in off the audio, um, analyzing off the voice, or even just something as the behavior of your fingers touching the keys on your phone and the pattern that creates and comparing that to maybe like a, a, um, a bot um, that might be dialing in in an automated way into the contact center. So there's, there's all these inputs um, that are happening almost simultaneously and we're picking up and, and, and feeding that into our engines, um, producing these scores uh, and then creating um, an assessment that, uh, again, that interaction, that call, again, there might be voice, there may not be voice, um, but we're, we're, we're sending it at real time so that, um, you know, real time uh, decision making um, can be made. And to be very clear here, there's kind of two sides of a coin we talk about. There's the fraudulent element um, that we are um, analyzing. And there's also, you know, the, the genuine activity. And, and to be fair, you know, there's 99.9% there's of genuine activity to the 1% of fraud. Uh, but that fraudulent element, you know, we want to make sure we're, we're protecting securely against but by doing that, we don't want to be sending genuine callers or genuine interactions into this, this prison until you find out and, like you said, identify who they are. So there's this tricky balance of doing this very quickly and very passively. Uh, so you're not irritating your genuine users, but you are laying down a very secure net to catch those fraudsters. And along the lines of genuine uses, I was just reading an article the other day about um, audio engineers who work uh, with hip hop stars who have scenarios come up where, you know, there's some rap song or hip hop song and they need a clean version of it. They need a not super explicit <laughs> version of that. And uh, it, it, with touring schedules and getting these people back into the studio and, and all that that entails and requires, they're starting to embrace technologies like some of the ones that Pendrop balances against where, uh, you know, voice emulation technology and things like that to where they can just simulate, they can emulate that voice and not require that superstar to have to travel all the way back to the studio for 30 seconds, if that worth of recorded audio. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of interesting use cases that are coming up. I find it fascinating and you, you hit on several of them, but I wanted to mention that one as well since I was just reading about it. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the ability to create synthesized voice, um, whether it's off of celebrities, you know, politicians, um, or, you know, even somebody else in your family, you know, I mean, you might be, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're an 18 year old um, a child in a family that um, you, you haven't been allowed to uh, uh, access maybe the, the Amazon account to, to, to purchase things. I mean, these are, these are things that, you know, we got to think about um, the allowance, the the ability to use uh, services, who they are, uh, and the ability for people to essentially masquerade as others uh, through very readily available technology that's pretty much at everyone's fingertips these days. 
I want to transition for a moment to an article that was in American Banker on May 16th, and I'm, and I'm going to link to this in the show notes. Um, it's very interesting, covers a lot of ground related to Google Duplex, which we're going to talk about. Your CEO, whose name I probably will not pronounce correctly, but I'm going to try, Vijay Balasubramanian, uh, was quoted in this piece quite a bit talking about um, the need for your technology and citing a specific example with Arianna Huffington. I know you've got a demo of your technology that you'd like to show. Maybe you can go ahead and do that now and just give us an idea of what is possible with simulating voices and just underscoring the need for what Pendrop does. Absolutely. So yeah, we created um, our own, um, what we call voice spoof, which essentially allows us to simulate a number of voices um, that, we've been, that we've created models off of. And, and really this is to demonstrate a couple things. First off, how, it, how easy it is uh, to take available audio uh, that, that, is, that is readily available out there online and be able to use that audio to construct a voice and then have that voice say anything you want. So that technology is, is essentially uh, out there in, in a number of forms. Um, Liarbird is, is a company that's, that's, that's built to do that, again, not for nefarious reasons. Um, but again, this, the point here is, is understanding that technology is there uh, and then doing something about it, protecting against synthesized voice. So I'm going to just play a couple voices um, that come from our voice synthesizer. Obviously, th this, is, this is all simulated. This is all made up. Um, so any statements I make here, um, disclaimer, are, are, are not real ones, but it just shows the potential of, of what can happen here. So this is um, President Trump speaking, so let me just go ahead and let him, let him uh, speak. I really think Hillary would make an excellent running mate. So you can hear there that you, know, you hear the elements of Trump's voice. You can, you can get a sense that, yeah, this could be him. Um, and, and we're able to sort of detect that it's him, but there's also maybe somewhat something mechanical but for systems to be able to detect off that um, can become quite difficult. So we've scored this voice, you know, we've scored this fairly high from a standpoint of its accuracy to the real voice. Basically it's, it's a seven um, out of a, a logarithmic scale of, of 10, but at the same time, we've also uh, scored that on a very high scale that that is indeed synthesized. So that's Trump. And then obviously we can have fun with this and we do this at conferences and people come up and have these, Various voices say a bunch of different things. So let me uh, now uh, play the corollary here, and you'll recognize immediately who this is. It is time to fully support Trump's policies. So again, there's Obama speaking. Again, there was a little bit of audio fade out at the end. But again, I think the point here is clear that I just simply typed in some sentences um, and made these voices say whatever I want. And here's an example of uh, Arianna Huffington. I love to listen to Voice First FM. So she has a very um, uh, distinguished Greek, uh, Greek accent. Uh, and again, these are, these are models, voice models um, that, we can, that we can use to, to generate these statements. Um, in fact, at the RSA conference um, in San Francisco about a month ago, uh, we had a lot of people come to our booth and I think we generated some 700 or so statements um, and, or, or just on Trump, there were 700 uh, statements created. And I think we might, uh, uh, make an actual speech out of that. Uh, but it kind of just shows the, uh, the situation going on here. And you mentioned um, a duplex from Google, and they announced this technology two, week, two weeks ago at their conference. And in, um, at the conference itself, you know, as, as, they were, as they were announcing it, um, it got extremely um, you know, favorable uh, reaction from the folks in the crowd. But then immediately there was this backlash on Google on just how far 
had Google uh, taken this because the voice was not only realistic, the engine um, that generated the voice was, was, was phenomenal, but the, the statements that the bot would make in interacting with a real human uh, was just off the charts, you know, using filler words like um and us, and also being able to understand contextually what the actual person was saying um, and responding in real time as if it was a, a live person. Uh, and, and the person on the other end of the phone uh, had no idea they were speaking uh, to a bot. Uh, so it shows how far this technology is going. Obviously, there's, there's purposeful reasons on why this is being built out. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the advent of synthesized voice uh, is here. And we need to make sure that uh, that synthesized voice is properly assessed and analyzed for what it is um, so that it's not used for uh, purposes that it was not intended for. The demo was great. Uh, and I'm not just referring to Arianna Huffington saying she liked voice first FM. <laughs> Although that was great too. Um, that, that really illustrates the point that you're making. Um, that illustrated several points, uh, your, your scale of evaluating different voices, but also just sort of what's possible because to people who are in this sector or, or who follow it closely, you understand what technology is capable of at this point, And you clearly showed it, but the layperson, the person who just, uh, you know, went out and bought an echo dot the other day because she had been reading about it and thought it's interesting and wanted to try it. And I mean, that person's got no clue of w what's possible. And, um, and then people who have never heard of any of this, of course, also don't know what's possible. So um, there's still a lot of education that has to go on in the marketplace. I want to ask you, Scott, with everything you just talked about, duplex, should companies have to disclose if you're talking to a bot or a non-human being or not? Um, I mean, it's, it, it's a great question. It's, it's, it's obviously hard for me to answer yes or no. Um, I, I think that a, another way to answer that is there needs to be an ability to very, very clearly understand not just where the technology is going, to, to clearly secure those conversations and to know that your conversation that you're having with somebody else, whether it's a, you know, it's a person or a bot, um, is, is not being used in a way that, that, that you didn't intend. So if Google is using this technology, and I think they already said, hey, you know, maybe we put a disclaimer at the front, you know, that's sort of an easy way out. And it's going to be very easy, I think, for, for folks who, who do not have the best intentions uh, to very easily strip that out um, and, and, and use it in a, in a, in a negative way. So as we use devices like Alexa and Google Home, we have to be secured by the vendors producing that technology that it's developed and it's being used uh, in, that, in, that, in, a, in a secure way as we, we expect. It's just like when we go and we do online transactions, you know, when the web was, was first being created, there was, there was a pretty much a, a wild, wild west mentality and, and security uh, capabilities were, uh, were, were, were quite... Uh, uh, primitive. Now, you know, we fully expect for, say, 256-bit encryption um, and, and secure connections uh, between our browser, our client, um, and the back-end service. It's that kind of security expectation that people will expect when they're doing transactions uh, over an Alexa device or over a Google device um, or voice authenticating themselves uh, into their home, that if they are going to be using those devices either commercially 
or for any type of secure uh, use case or use case that requires security, um, they they're not going to just buy and deploy these and and be fine with it. The vendor has to provide that assurance uh, that that indeed these that there are security provisions um, in in the usage of these devices uh, and the interactions or the interfaces, uh, and that is that is the assurance that is basically on the the vendor's um, uh, shoulders. Uh, so the responsibility uh, is is on the producer of that technology. So to say there should be a disclaimer, you know, maybe that's kind of a legal way to do it. But technology is pervasive. Technology is immersive. Uh, technology is being developed in ways where you don't want to know that technology is there. It needs to be natural. Um, and now we're talking about conversations, and we're talking about you know using your voice uh, in a way. Uh, that allows you to fully interact um, with your devices. You want that to be a natural experience, but now you want to make sure that it's also a secure experience. Yeah, your answer sort of echoes my personal thoughts as well. And we were talking about this on This Week in Voice last week. Question of ethics, and people are so quick, of course, in the social media uh, era to throw around loaded words of different types, you know, ethics being one of them in this particular case. You You can talk about the ethics all you want, uh, and that's a useful conversation to have, but really it just scratches the surface on what really needs to be going on. Um, and it, you're right, it's the responsibility in my mind as well of the providers of these technologies to protect against the very obvious nefarious type of uses that could ruin people's lives real quick. You know, whether they disclaim it or not, you know, you can have that conversation, but Really, there's got to be a whole lot more thinking than I think is what's going on, apparently, uh, either certainly with Google, with Duplex, but probably at Amazon, too, or Apple or anywhere else on how to, how to secure these experiences. Let me ask you something else that I've sort of been thinking about. I'm a big music fan. I live here in Nashville, Music City, and it's well known that for many music artists and bands and whatnot, especially once you hit a certain level, uh, ringtones can make more money than your actual music. And it was big time that way a few years ago. It's sort of evened out a little bit as we've gone along. Uh, but ringtones are a huge deal and uh, a surprising market that nobody ever would have thought that musicians would be making and bands and artists would be making the money that they're making off of ringtones. I bring that up because... I see a similar thing could happen here with licensing of one's voice or licensing of one's audio makeup, whatever what correct scientific phrase it is to use for, for a human being to be a voice to where, you know, like take Trump, for example, or Obama, either one, those audio clips that you played right now, yeah, you can simulate their voice. Maybe once this all becomes a little bit more mature, however, once the lawyers sort of sink their teeth into it, as we know they like to do, my wife being an attorney, I can, I can and do make fun of attorneys all the time. Share with me your thoughts on the potential for the monetization, the, the positive and the fruitful monetization of this type of technology. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a pretty good insight there because, you know, someone's voice, you know, whether it's uh, a, a politician, um, a, an actor, an actress, um, a singer, you're right. I mean, there is huge value in that voice being used to say things, to promote uh, products, um, to endorse, um, to re- or even to make statements of, of collaboration. Uh, it's, it's beyond commercial value and it has it has impact into other people's behavior. It has, you know, I guess, downstream ramifications 
to you know, people hearing that. And you, you hear about the, the, the trials that Mark Zuckerberg is doing with Facebook and you know, being able to filter out you know, fake news or you know, dealing with sharing of data. You're exactly right. You know, uh, a snippet of someone's voice and not just their voice, but a different statement that that person never made. You know, being able to defend that today uh, is becoming extremely difficult. You know, did did that person actually, you know, make those claims? Uh, well, I heard it online and people seem to be uh, assuming you know, guilt before innocence. So I'm not sure if licensing the voice from a standpoint of monetization um, will maybe fall along the same model as licensing a song or licensing an album, but, you know, some type of construct that allows, whether it's, it's you know, protection of that person or that entity, uh, I, I think that's going to become necessary in some form. You know, that's as, it's as easy as me typing in a statement or anybody, you know, literally even recording and, and using a nonlinear editor to splice that voice uh, in a different way and, and, and make an entirely different statement. So we're talking, you know, not just, you know, the protection, but what that statement um, and the new content or the new context that statement is making. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that there, there will be need to be some mechanism to do that and then from a monetization standpoint, you know, there's, there's certainly going to be commercial avenues that can be explored here. Um, again, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what form that, that's going to take, uh, but, but I see that as, as definitely a, um, a new path that, uh, that needs to be thought of here. So I think that's a very good insight. Well, your technology would be front and center no matter which direction this thing goes. I think that's what's so exciting for you. But, yeah, you would have to have some underlying artificial intelligence behind it like for your for example the ariana huffington clip let's say that there's some sort of engine or software that ariana huffington has produced you know five to ten years from now in the future when all of this is much more mature and i can go to that website and i can say i can get ariana huffington to say happy 40th birthday you know susie and that costs, you know, the AI detects what was said there and says, okay, thank you very much. That's going to be $199. Uh, here, you know, give me your PayPal. Uh, or if you type, um, uh, you know, I, I get and try to get Ariana Huffington to say, I really love Coca Cola right. and I do not like Pepsi. <laughs> Ariana, the, the website will say, hmm, okay, um, that's going to cost you $5,000. <laughs> yep. you know, and then if it says, uh, I want to go, um, commit acts of, you know, commit felonies <laughs> or terrorize somebody, it'll say, stop what you're doing. No. You yeah, know. yeah, Bradley, I think it's a very good extrapolation and you can see, you know, that, that, that exact situation happening. And then, then the corollary of that is, okay, well, how, if you're licensed to use her voice to save say 10 seconds of speech and to only allow these statements to be made, obviously the very next thing to think about is, well, how do you prevent the wrong statements from being made? Or how do you prevent, um, you know, 20 seconds of voice uh, to be created when you were only licensed to use 10 seconds. Right. So, but yeah, I, I see that exact, that, that, that exact situation setting up, but, but I think we should also, you know, we, we've talked a bit about, um, you know, misuse, but there's, there's a lot of positive um, examples that, 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 that will be possible here. And, you know, just one, and, you know, this is, this is something that, you know, you can think is, is, um, uh, you know, a little bit down the road, but, you know, you think of a loved one who's passed away and, and if you've got a model of their voice, 
and being able to basically have a virtual conversation with that person and through natural language understanding, NLU and natural language processing, the service is able to contextually understand what you're saying and respond with that person's voice um, and you, you will be having an effortless conversation um, you know, with that, with that, that love family member who, who had unfortunately passed. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, potential, you know, positive extrapolations that, uh, that we can think about here, not, not just the negative ones here, but there's, there's obviously a need to do this in, in a way that we're assured that our voice or the person's voice that we're hearing is a genuine one, um, or like you said, is maybe commercially licensed, uh, so it's properly allowed and very passively and very quickly know that, you know, we're, we're dealing with something synthetic, we're dealing with something virtual, and therefore uh, our behavior is different. You know, a virtual bot speaking to us is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there's an incredible amount of innovation uh, going out to, to, to build just that and be able to interact and get to, say, you know, your problem that you're, you're, you're calling into, say, a retailer um, and have it analyzed quickly by a bot you know, you'd want that rather than spending, you know, 10 or 15 minutes waiting to have your, your, um, your request picked up by an agent. So there's definitely definite efficiencies to be gained here. Uh, but again, we want to make sure that we know who's on the other side. Um, and it's the purpose for, for what we're speaking to them for. Brilliant stuff. Uh, and uh, fascinating conversation. Scott, I appreciate you setting this time aside for anyone listening to this show who's learned about pin drop perhaps for the first time, wants to learn more, what's the best way to do that? And what's the best way to perhaps reach out to you or, or one of your colleagues to learn more if someone wants to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, pindrop.com um, is our site. Um, we're a 300 person startup. Uh, so, you know, feel free to reach out. The management team is, is shown right there. Uh, you can email us directly, you know, email directly into the, the contact information uh, so uh, we'd be as, as responsive as we can as we can on those incoming requests. Scott, thank you very, very much for your time today. This is fantastic. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks for having me. For the Voice First Roundtable, May 2018, thank you for listening. And until next time.